Welcome to the latest episode of the American Farriers Journal podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Farrier Science Clinic of Hamilton, Ohio. This firm offers several equine antifungus feed supplements and topical products for treating a number of hoof diseases and other hoof concerns that were pioneered by long-term farrier Bob Peacock. I'm Frank Lesseter, editor of American Farriers Journal. Today's podcast offers a unique conversation on the last 50 years of horseshoeing and toolmaking from one of the most innovative tool manufacturers in the industry. For this entertaining episode, we sat down with longtime toolmaker Roy Bloom in his Drummond, Wisconsin shop and listened as he walked us through his extraordinary farrier and tool manufacturing career that started in the late 1960s. South side of Chicago. A city guy? Suburb. It was a farming community south of Chicago, Lansing, Illinois. That's right on the Indiana border. I grew up there uh, after high school, wandering around uh, just over the border in Indiana. There was a lot of stables, horses. And uh, my cousin married a fellow that owned one of those. And I happened to go out there and he offered me a job and that that was more or less just a farmhand, you know, the mucking stalls and feeding right. horses, watering hay all summer, haying all summer. Uh, not much going on in the wintertime other than just cleaning stalls and feeding, but uh, that kind of started the whole thing. And there was another stable right down the road, and that gentleman was a farrier, besides owning the stable and all that sort of thing. And he was, he was running uh, these real fancy pony rides mm-hmm. uh, at county fairs and stuff like that. And so I started working for him, going out on the pony rides and stuff. And then every once in a while, he would get to shoe a horse. Uh, so I'd sit and watch him and all that stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so he showed me how to trim the ponies because he didn't want to do them anyway. <laughs> and I was, I was a lot smaller than he was too, so. We went just so far, and then he told me that what I needed to do was to go to shoeing school. And he said he had gone to North Texas Horseshoeing Institute, was, uh, run by Al Pinson, uh, which you you see his stuff still today, that uh, AP brand. Sure, right. Yeah. That winter, I, I went to work in the steel mills up, up north. Up around Gary? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was about the best place that I would be able to earn enough money to save up to go to you know shoeing school. So I worked there all through the winter, following summer the following winter, and I had signed up to go to school in March that next year. Thought I'd have enough money by then, so I did that. I asked for a leave of absence from the steel mill, but they wouldn't give it to me. I hadn't been there long enough, so I had to give them my two weeks notice and. So anyway, off, off I went to Texas in March. And, uh, so you went to the same school that he had gone to? Yeah. Okay. And uh, at the time when I went, the head instructor was uh, Wade Benson. I know Wade's been on the list for uh, the Hall of Fame for quite a long while. I've never seemed to get him in there. But uh, so now this was uh, 1973. Wade had just retired from the Army. He was the shoeing instructor at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. 
So when he hit that school, he's he's fresh out of the army, Sergeant Benson, and that's the way that school was run. <laughs> it was uh, that was pretty funny actually, because uh, come from Indiana like that, I got my hair's a little longer than and he's used to, of course. That was a struggle. He he could not get past my hair. I needed a haircut. So one day I, w- I was shoeing a horse and I was struggling. Uh, multiple trips back and forth from my forge to the horse to the forge to the horse to the forge. This was going on and all morning. I could not get it. I happened to become walking by. He's leaning against the door there and he goes, he stops me and he says, you know, this this horseshoe would go a whole lot better <laughs> if you got your hair cut. Then I'm like, I got all puffed up and thought, now what in the world does my hair have to do with this that I can't shape this shoe? So I another dozen trips back and forth and finally I walked up to him and I said, all right, if that's what it takes to make this, <laughs> I'm tired of walking back and forth with this, let's go get a haircut. And he stops the whole class. This is probably about 11 o'clock or something. He stopped everybody. Says, all right, you boys, quit. You get an early lunch. And then he looks at me and says, you get in my truck. And drives right downtown, right to the barbershop. We get out. He walks in. He goes, sit there. He sits down, picks up a newspaper, snaps it open. Barber goes, what do we got here? And he goes, one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you walk out of there bald. Yeah. <laughs> well, then after that, he uh, he wouldn't leave me alone. I mean, but he could not get past that hair. Yeah. You know, that was just not going to happen. So anyway, that was fun. But I saw a lot of stuff in 1973. Wade was demonstrating, demonstrated to us, drawn clips on aluminum race plates. 73. Yeah. Well, nobody... In a coal fire. I mean, I remember that to this this day because it was years after that before you started to see aluminum shoes even on the market. I mean, for other than racehorses. Right. And then guys working aluminum. Right. Oh, that was that was well up into the eighties. You know, but here's Wade drawing little clips on. Race plates, unbelievable. Yeah, he's a he was he's quite a quite a hand. I mean, pretty handy. And Mr. Pinson too. He was a huge man. Uh, his arms were bigger than my legs, uh, and he would he would bet people money that he could pick up uh, you know a hundred twenty pound anvil one hand. He could, and he would do it. He'd say, "You put five bucks." on the heel of that, stick it down on there with gum or something. He says, and I will take that off of there. And I saw him do it. Yeah. There was one guy that had five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see this. I got to see this. So did you learn the Army way of shoeing there? Or? No, no, it wasn't. It was, uh, you know, I mean, just straightforward. Yeah. Straightforward shoeing. Nothing, nothing fancy. I mean, yes, you had to work through all the different shoes, you had to forge bar shoes and you had, you know, right. to pass the test, the final test and everything. But 12 weeks in a shoeing school is not enough. That's not enough. So 
home you come, you think you're a horseshoer now. It's 1973. Horseshoers don't talk to horseshoers. Uh, you pull up to a barn, they quit working. Put their stuff away even. If you're going to hang around or you're going to be there, they're not going to show you anything. So, so you're, you're apprenticing under yourself. You've got to just learn from your mistakes now. I did go back and work with that gentleman that uh, sure. I had started with. I got to go with him occasionally, and he'd show me a couple little things, this and that. But nothing was very fancy then. I don't know what date it was that the first propane forge ever hit the market. Uh, but it was way up, way beyond the 73. So if you wanted a fire, you had to have coal. And no, nobody carried coal with them. You know, not in my area, not in northwest Indiana. So everything was cold. You, just, you shape cold, you whatever, everything. No clips were drawn. Nothing, nothing like that ever happened. Unless you went home and started a coal fire, if you had one. Yeah. So what kind of horses were you working on? At that time, it was all uh, just trail trail horses. Uh, there was a few Western pleasure horses and some gaming horses and things like barrel horses, that type of stuff. Nothing real fancy. Uh, and it was right in that same time frame when, when the killer market went nuts. Mm -hmm. That price went crazy and horses just started disappearing. Uh, and everything had been great up to then. I mean, you never saw a registered anything. If that ever showed up, that was a freak, you know. So, but what might have been the good thing of that killer market going nuts like that was it weeded out a lot of a lot of junk mm -hmm. that was that you were working on, and it kind of allowed that registered type horse to to kind of start to grow a little bit. You start seeing better horses, and yeah, it was kind of a good transition, I think, at the time. So the way we, we banged around and banged around uh, 10 years. I had a young fellow come over and wanted to know if he could ride with me and whatnot. This was 10 years later. So he rode with me for one summer and got him shoeing a little bit, I mean, up to the point where he could nail something on. And then he decided he needed to go to North Dakota, I think it was, or whatever. So he left, and then two guys that you you see all the time now, uh, Dan Hausman and Tom Willoughby, both had gone, come out of shoeing school right in there about 83, 84, the winter, spring of 83, maybe spring of 84. They graduated. Well, then Danny came to work for me, and Danny worked with me all summer. And Tom would come with us every once in a while if we got too many or whatever. But Tom was mostly off on his own. And then uh, Danny got an opportunity to go to work for a gentleman over in Illinois, in north, on the west side of Chicago. And they, up there, it was more, you got better money. And there was different horses now. You got some... Uh, some hunter-jumper stuff, you got some dressage stuff, some uh, saddle-bred stuff, uh, stuff we didn't do. So Dan came to me and he said, you know, I, I don't want to leave. And I said, well, no, but you need to do this. 
because you'll you'll get this experience on horses that we you'll never see. We don't have any of that stuff down here. You need to do this. So he did. He went up there, and well, then Tom and I teamed up. Tom Willoughby and I teamed up after Danny left that next that next spring. We just teamed up, and we ended up uh, hiring two more guys. We had uh, three big barns that we were in every week. And then the rest of the time we scattered. Tom would go off and do this group or his own stuff. I'd go off and do the smaller stops. And then three days a week, Tom and I were together in those big barns with with our helpers. So we had quite a little business going. Well, then with Danny up on that other deal, that, that gentleman decides that He's had enough, I'm retiring, and he hands his whole business to Danny Hausman. Dan hasn't been out of school two years. <laughs> and kaboom, yeah. here's a multi-farrier business, and Dan just took that. He just ran with it. I mean, he, well then, he would get in trouble, so Tom and I and our helpers would end up yeah. in Illinois, shooing, helping Danny, <laughs> so. It was, it was a good deal going on. We'd, so that whole thing was going on. Well, then in 84, we heard about this AFA thing. I, I guess it, it, it had been going for a little while, but we never heard about it. We had no idea. But we found out that that convention was going to be in Raleigh. So Danny and I signed up, and we took off. We went to Raleigh. That was just uh, the best thing that ever happened. Who knew? Who knew that all that stuff was going on at that time? And we, we, we show up in Raleigh and we're walking through the marketplace. And here's this booth for uh, Centaur Forge in uh, Burlington, Wisconsin. We live right. <laughs> right just south. Had no idea it even existed up there. I was I was buying shoes from a tax shop. And, and you couldn't get anything. I mean, this you got diamond shoes or Nordic. Right. Uh, Capewell nails, Nicholson rasp, and diamond tools. That was it. That was it. And here's Centaur sitting up there. And you know what that store was like when Bill was in there. That right. It's <laughs> like she died and went to heaven or something. But so that we zip up there. Holy buckets. Give them all of our money. We'd stock up for the summer or something. I mean, that was that was pretty cool. That paid off. Finding the AFA. Well, then we got active in the AFA and watching those guys forge and stuff again. I hadn't forged anything since since school. Everything's cold. Oh, maybe we should get into this. Oh, this is kind of cool. Well, and there was no state chapters. There's no Indiana didn't have one yet. Illinois didn't have one yet. Michigan existed, and Ohio existed. So in order for us to, if we wanted to take the certified test or the journeyman test, we had to go, Right. Uh, we went to Ohio. So then we started hanging out with those guys, Bob Parks and Jim Bondra and uh, Kenny Wurst and Randy Lucart. And, uh, yeah, that whole group over there, we got to be good friends with all those guys. And they had contests. So we kind of go over there, goof around. Well, then the more you get into the contest and you start looking at, Nobody sold tools. That nobody made them. Then, if if you wanted them, you 
they had to buy them from somebody that made them. Well, it was one of those guys. Right. Well, they had you had to make your own stuff. So I went home and started goofing around with that, trying to build a, a four, trying to build a four punch, trying to build Pritchels, doing all that stuff myself. And so you, you work at it, you work at it. Then you go to a contest and show up with your stuff. Well, then next thing you know, somebody's asking you about your stuff. Can you make me one? Yeah. You know, or you make something and put it in the auction. And, oh, well, one thing leads to another, to another, to another. Uh, pretty soon, you're, you're trying to balance making tools and shoeing horses. Uh, you even got a few stores to start asking, would you make stuff for us? And this and that. And then you're, oh boy, <laughs> what do we do now? So then I got involved with uh, Animal Brand. I ended up turning my the entire horseshoeing business over to Tom. I gave him everything. And I moved to Lexington to build tools for Animal Brand. The original The Knife. I was involved in that whole thing. Uh, developing the blade and getting all that taken care of. And then my little company in... Lexington built all the handles and put everything together, sharpened, whatever. And we had a, a bunch of fancy handles, and then we had some plain handles. But then there was also a bunch of other tools that I, I modified or did something with for Anvil brand. Uh, but it kept us going, and that fell apart. So there was a whole thing going on in that same time frame. My folks and I had come up here to Wisconsin and looked around and we purchased some acreage over just east of me. And the, the folks were going to retire there. We're going to build and retire whatnot. Well, the year that my dad was going to turn 62, he got really sick and, and within just months he was gone so then then this whole anvil brand thing goes down it's not good I need to get out and I thought well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do what my dad did you know, I'm not gonna wait until I'm 60 years old and then then move up here right then go someplace that I want to be why don't I do do it now if UPS can show up at my door I can make tools and I can ship all right, so then I started coming up on a regular basis looking for some place. I couldn't afford to build on that property, but I needed to find something. I bumped into this place. There wasn't much here at the time. A house in a little bitty one-car garage. But it, it was in my price range. Everything was good. So we bought it and uh, packed up everything in March of 92. Uh, headed for Drummond, Wisconsin. Well, you get up here and then getting things going again and expanding the tools and doing that sort of thing. And then I ran into uh, Dan Burke. Uh, at the time that I was with Anvil Brand, Dan was managing Kentucky Blacksmith Supply, him and Linda, both. And then and Bud Williman owned that right. at that time. And uh, Bud decided he wanted to sell it. Well, 
Dan knew exactly what it was worth, and when he put in his bid, well, that's Bud wanted more than that. Well, Claude and the Ammo Brand, he just walked in and said, "Yeah, I'll give you that." So Dan had to leave that, and that's when Dan started Ferrier Product Distribution in a in a little shed behind Linda's house. So the, all of that took place at one time there. Uh, when, Am when Claude bought Kentucky Blacksmith, then Farley came in to manage Kentucky Blacksmith Supply. He did that for a couple of years while I was still at Ammo Brand. And then the whole thing went south, all in this big turmoil. It was a mess. So David ends up leaving that. I come up here. In the meantime, Dan has already built this FPD thing a little bit. Uh, now he's now he's bringing in the care car shoes a little bit. He always always had the Bellotta rasps, and he's picking up this and that. And then he starts. We start talking, and he's trying to explain what his concept was for FPD. That there's no retail. That's strictly a wholesale deal, and. All this sort of thing, blah, blah, blah. And was I willing to do that? You know, not sell retail, only wholesale to the stores. Or would I turn the, everything over to FPD? And then they're the main, you know, exclusive distributor. So that's where we went. It was a handshake. I mean, it's just taken off from there. It's just, Dan's a spectacular businessman he's done very well ideas 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 <clears throat> the whole concept of trying to improve the stores lot uh, offer a higher uh, markup to the store uh, incentives on uh, shipping all that sort of thing just going to the stores and helping the stores set up uh, display this that uh, now all computer stuff, you know, how to maintain inventory on the computer and barcodes and yeah. So that whole from ninety-two on has just been building, 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 building. In uh what would that have been? Ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere in there, Dan and I bought Breckenridge. Okay. Breckenridge right. tools. Yep. Mount Clemens, Michigan. Yeah. I've been there in the old days. Yeah. But okay. going back to 92 for a minute, I th we had met you probably at AFA, but I think maybe in the spring of 92, you stopped in our office on the way home. And you were working, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were working on an asbestos project in some yes. school. Yes. There was a transition there. Yeah. When you make the move, uh, you haven't made the deal with FPD yet, so yeah. you're just kind of selling some tools to a few stores. Well, that wasn't it. Wasn't enough. So uh, an old client that I had back in Indiana uh, was in the asbestos project managing company. They wanted to know if I wanted to be a project manager for asbestos jobs like this. It was only in in the state of Illinois, and only for schools. Uh, that was the only one that only requirement 
where they had to have an architect design the job and a project manager, and then and there was little or no asbestos removal companies at the time. That was right. it was all kind of a fledgling thing. But you had to go to school to become a project manager. So I did that. So then I would go back and forth. He would get a job. I'd go down. And I'd stay two, three weeks or whatever, and uh, run the job, and then bust back up here, make some tools, and then there'd be another job down someplace else. And, uh, Kept you going. Yeah. For the other two or three years, it paid the bills yeah. up here. And it let, it let the other part kind of build, but it also let that relationship with with, F, with Dan build, that we, the talking and the, you know, and then the opportunity to, uh, to purchase Breckenridge, well, that bumped us up. That gave us a, you know, I was making fire tongs by hand. Well, that's, that doesn't cut it. You can't make them fast enough. I mean, it just doesn't work. Not for the volume that Dan was starting to, to get. So getting the Breckenridge, there was, a, there was three tongs. Yeah, there was three, three tongs in their line. They had that regular fire tong. And that adjustable tongue, and then there was a, a small forging. It was actually Breckenridge's uh, clincher forging, but we turned it into everything else. Uh, we used it for all kinds of rose tongs and rat tail tongs and whatever. And then there was a four punch, a, a drop forged four punch, but it, that got us pretty busy. But they Breckenridge at that time they kept the shoes, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they, they kept just got all out the tools. Yeah, they just wanted to sell the whole tool line thing, get out of that. And then they, they got rid of the shoes shortly after that, or they quit or something. They I don't know if it went somewhere. I don't remember. I don't remember it going anywhere. Maybe they just quit. They started, they still had the presses in there uh, because they were still, uh, even though we own the stuff now, we, we left the dies there. They were, for a little while, they were pressing the pieces for us. We were just paying by the piece, which worked. Then the transition happened when they decided they didn't want to do that anymore. And they were going to go more into the automotive industry there. They had some pieces they could press that were more lucrative. So we had to move out, or we had to take our stuff and go somewhere else. So we got in, involved with a drop forge company in Erie, Pennsylvania. And, and then we had to rebuild all the dies. That was a lot of money. We already paid a lot of money. I mean, well, yeah. we paid money for the business, and then now you've got to rebuild everything in a few years later. So that was that was a kind of a struggle in there. But once we got that taken care of, I mean, once we got into the drop forging stuff, you learn a lot. Maybe it was Mr. Breckenridge that told me or something that... Uh, mentioned that you know boy this costs a lot of money to try to figure this stuff out and he goes well you're going to college right now <laughs> what do you mean and he goes well it costs you money to go to college doesn't it oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah <laughs> that's the way you learn right. okay so he did we got it but then it's just gone from there of course then you get Dan started looking at if you can go one-on-one -on -one with a farrier 
that 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 kind of advertising, I don't know, you can't put a dollar amount on that. You know, just right. to be one on one, face to face with the farrier. You know, this is a Bloom tool, and you're talking to Roy Bloom kind of thing. So, started working a deal with the stores where when they had their open house, or more or less, that we would somehow sponsor it, and so we got Farley involved, and. Dave and I would go in and do a day-long clinic, and it'd be part of their, their open house, but it wouldn't cost them anything as part of right. FPD's commitment to them. And that that got silly, because then you then you're, you know how the old clinics were, where the guy standing at the anvil building and everybody's crowded around, and you and only the five guys in front that could ever see anything. So. The video and uh, trying to project it up onto this. First, we started out with big televisions, and that that led to flat screen televisions, and then it was projectors and trying to hook the camera to the projector to up on the screen with bleachers, and so and and through all of that, we were recording all those clinics. Every one of them, Dave's got boxes and boxes and boxes of. High, high eight from all those clinics we did. And we were trying to put those together into, but to edit is a lot of time. Right. That's a booger. But that paid off. But it, it just kind of just kept growing and growing and growing. Still is. Still growing. It's still. And we still do those. You know, we're still running around doing some of that. Not as much as as we used to, but uh, and we've we've brought in other other clinicians now, you know that type of thing. That whole relationship with FPD has been a really good thing. Good, you know. I in any business like this, if uh, if you're the business that Dan has, where he distributes to. I don't even know how many, what the number is now. Something like over 300 stores that he, they're not all just farrier supply stores. Right. There's some ranch supplies and things like that going on too, but to ship to all those individual people, that's a business all by itself. There, it's FPD. Uh, so if, if you're little Bloom Forge up here in Wisconsin and you were to try to deal with right. 300 stores can't do it i would have to have another another staff to pull that off up here so that's eliminated uh i ship to one place you know that's fpd i build to one place i don't have to worry about any of that you know kind of what you kind of got it made right but in turn you're part of that company more or less you know it's, it's FPD it's been a good thing it's just been a good and a good relationship I mean it, all these years now it's been quite a while well, right made it work yeah yeah so even though you've been in the tool business you've uh, pretty much kept up on shoeing you do any shoeing up here at all I have one client up on uh, Madeline Island Oh, okay. Yeah, she's got uh, about seven horses up there. Uh, I've been doing those for 
oh, uh, 16 years, I think. I kind of stayed away from it up here when I first came up and for the first years. Mm -hmm. uh, there aren't that many horses up here to begin with, so if you're going to make a living at it, you're going to have to travel. You're going to have to get on the west side of Duluth from over that way. Uh, maybe some up the North Shore all the way clear into the UP. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have to cover some, some ground. And a little further south, uh, Spooner and Rice Lake, that area, there's some horses down in there. But further north you come, slim pickings up here. But even so, you've uh, you've stayed close to the shooting oh, yeah. side. You've been a judge. You've worked with the AFA team. So you still you stayed close to the shoeing side, which I'm sure has helped you on the tool making side too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, well, we got so involved with that contesting there for a little while, you know. That, uh, and then you you kind of get ate up with it. Uh, you're just pushing yourself and pushing yourself and put. You're looking at that convention and looking at thinking. Ooh. <laughs> If you could get on that team, wouldn't that be yeah. something, huh? And so it, it happened in 1990. Uh, I made the team, and and that there's the thing was just, when you get on the team, all of a sudden everybody knows your name. They didn't know who Roy Bloom was before that, right. but all of a sudden, who is this guy? Kind of thing. And and then everybody thinks you know everything there is to know about this stuff. You don't know nothing. <laughs> you don't know a thing. Then somebody says, uh, they want you to do a clinic for them or something. Do a right. clinic. Never stood in front of anybody and done any of this stuff. Holy moly, here we go. This is a whole new world, isn't it? Now you have to, what are you going to show them? I mean, you already don't know anything. <laughs> so that that started that whole clinic career thing but and that that in turn took the took the tools and just right. boom because all, all of a sudden everybody knows but it got it got fun uh, so what I figured out was you know that all that whole thing I can't remember how it goes but you you retain so much by hearing you retain so much by seeing you retain you retain so much by doing uh, that kind of thing but to do a clinic there's no secrets you know there's no secret in any of this stuff I mean it I can talk for a day you know you talk for six hours all day long and those those guys, anyone sitting in the audience is only going to remember maybe 15 minutes out of the whole day. Right. So I would just tell them every bloody thing and, and stuff that, i just tell them everything I knew. I mean, you just go from start to finish. When I, all of a sudden, I'm learning. Right. I, I'm learning about stuff and this and that and this. Oh, what if you do that and this happened? Or, or this little move, that little move. And then you go to somebody else's clinic. You retain 15 minutes of his stuff. You say, I could use that. You take that back and you put it into your clinic. And, uh, you just keep, pretty soon, uh, 
you have too much. I have more to say than I have time. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so many little details now of things that, that uh, guys need to know about this kind of thing. You know, this this knife, this this nipper, this this punch. How do you work this punch? How does it happen? How does this? Yeah. Uh, how does it? How does the steel work? We always tell people to go to the clinic or go to the International Hoof Care Summit. You only need to get really one good idea out of it to take home to make it worthwhile going. Now, you're going to get more than one, but use that. And the other thing that happens, if somebody in the middle of a clinic says something that someone totally disagrees with, they can't overlook that and look at the things that could help them in their business. Well, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, how, how many times at the, at the summit has a speaker been controversial? Right. Well, we, we like to get some. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like that. That's good stuff. Exactly. I mean, that's good stuff. Right. Because then when, when, he's, when that speaker's done, when you get in the hall, right. now there's some, right. some learning going on out there because people are picking this part, just yeah. picking it apart. You get two strangers in the hallway and one will say to the other, did you hear that dumb idea that that guy did? That'll never work. And the other guy says, you know, I've been doing it for 19 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're like, what? Yeah. And well, then, then they Just list. like that or are you doing something? No, just like that. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, yeah. That, and, and, and then that, that uh, concept you guys did with the round table thing. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or the. Yeah, hoof care round tables. Yeah, the round tables. Yeah. All over the place, and if if you can get it going, I you know I've been a moderator at a couple of those, but and it's hard to get the get that yeah. happening in there. But what, once you once it starts and people loosen up and they're not afraid to spout off or whatever, or tell their opinion, that becomes a really cool inter interchange in there. That's that's sweet stuff. People either love the hoof care roundtables or they hate them. There's no <laughs> middle ground. Exactly, exactly. So what we started, kind of started doing was like uh, Dave would be the moderator for for this. So then he would he would come to me and he'd come to a couple of other people and he'd say, uh, "I want you guys to come in there and and start something. Right. Just Prime start, the pump. Yeah, yeah. Start something for me." I said, "Okay." So we've we've done that a couple, and once you get it going. Bam, 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 bam. Now you got people really getting into it. And then pretty soon they don't want to quit. You know, Jeremy will come in and go, you're right. done, you're done. We got a next group coming in, you know. But I've no, seen, no. Yeah, I've seen the second round of round tables that might start at 8.30 run to midnight with four or five people still in the room. Yeah, the conversation's still going on. Yeah. Oh, that's the goal. <laughs> that's just good stuff. <laughs> Besides everything else that's been going on. Yeah. Oh no, that's a good thing. So, what are a uh, couple mistakes you've made over the years that you think you could help other people avoid? <laughs> the list is long and distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> mistakes. No. Oh, the worst time that I ever had in the whole thing was that whole incident with the Anvil Brand. So, when that all went down and blew up and that was a nasty mess but uh, so that was a mistake 
I, sh- I should have not quit shoeing horses and gone to work for Ammo Brand, but okay. It happened. It's done. The thing that, the good that came out of it, though, was it forced me to come here. Right. I moved to northern Wisconsin, I, and I did it before I was 40 years old. Uh, you know, we've been up here since 92, 24 years we've been here, 25 years. And, and moving to this small community to, uh, over where I was, uh, you get involved in the community too. And, and you live in the place where you vacation. Uh, right. I mean, that's just all good. It's just all good. No, I don't. That was the big mistake. That was the thing in the middle of the whole mess. But, it, but so much good came out of it. Right. You know, to, to bring you here. Because now I have been so involved with this town and still way beyond right now. So this is a town of only, what, 450, 500 people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, years, uh, some years ago, I, I, I served on the town board for for four terms, eight years, then kind of got off. And then we had a, a town chairman uh, resign, not much, not long into his elected time. And uh, I kind of volunteered to take his place for fill out his term. Well, now I'm, <laughs> now I'm on the, the third term as the, as the town chairman, yeah. you know, as the mayor, more or less, you want to call him, it's not the mayor, town chairman. My involvement in the town is right. That's great. And that's big. It's a big deal. Uh, for the most part, things—it's not that big a job, but it's—it's it's very, very enjoyable. I enjoy that. I don't know, whatever. Uh, what do you want to call it? It's a test. Uh, the in- involvement with people. The uh, how do you how do you make this town better? How do you progress? How does this happen? So it's, it's another business, I mean, right. more or less. I'm, I'm running multiple business, actually, but not just Plum Forge, but now I'm running the town. But And for from the first time I was on the town board as a, as a supervisor, uh, the towns took over the ambulance service, four towns. Well, I ended up on that board, and I've been on that board since forever. I'm, I'm the president of the ambulance board, so there's another business. There you go. So you're running this business, this business, this business. Yeah, but it's good. Right. I'm all giving back to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a great thing to do. Right. I mean, you get involved in your town. Uh, I'm on the fire department. I've been on the fire department forever. Uh, volunteer. It's all good. Right. It's all good. So do you work alone, or do you have somebody here making tools with you and doing some of your other projects? No, I'm all alone now. Okay. All alone. Uh, when that housing crunch went right. down, you know, everything just died off. I mean, we made a lot, a lot of stuff here. I mean, at one time I had two employees, two full-time employees here, and uh, we were going constant. And even with the, the full-time employees <coughs> working five days, I was still working Saturdays and Sundays a lot of times just to try to keep up with all that work that was coming in and it was it was great I've got albums of all the shit we've yeah. built it's all over this country you know the stuff that a lot of people have given us an opportunity to put things in their house you know it, it was it was going great guns there for a little while but then and this country is not really 
quite recovered from that yet. Which is a it's a hard nut to crack when you're the you're looking to progress in your town and nothing around you is really progressing. Right. You know. Well, you kind of brought uh, Drummond a national reputation for farrier tools. This little town ships yep. stuff all over North America and probably the Europe and other places through FPD. Yeah. So you've had an impact. Yes. In the farrier business. And 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 I'm the only welder in town, so. You get all the other projects. <laughs> There's all that cut still comes in all the time. All right. <laughs> it's pretty good. I would like to thank Roy Bloom for being part of this interesting and entertaining episode and sharing his insights on being both a horseshoer and tool builder. And special thanks to the Farrier Science Clinic for sponsoring this session on tool making. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please post them to the podcast page at AmericanFarriersJournal.com slash podcast. Until next time, thanks very much for joining us. <laughs>